This morning we're going to be looking at uh, at First Peter chapter two verses twenty one through twenty five, which finishes off the chapter. Although the context always runs all the way through uh, verse twelve of chapter three, uh, we're in the section on submission. Uh, he began by talking about submission to government. Uh, then he went to submission. Uh, we kind of phrased it in the workplace, but it was in in the context of of the Roman day in which Peter lived. It, it was directed at slaves, but not so much. That wasn't the word he used. He used a word that meant household servants. It had a, a very different context than the than the nineteenth uh, century American slavery or the slavery of the world in the nineteenth century, really. But uh, but it was uh, uh, slaves, while they were not seen as really as people, they were seen as tools and, and part of the equipment of the day. Uh, they did have certain privileges and rights. They did some, in some cases, they were paid. Uh, they, could, they could earn their freedom, that kind of thing. It was a very different kind of thing. But he concluded... He concluded the section on 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 household servants, and in in verses nineteen and twenty, and in verses in verse nineteen, he he made it uh, he made it clear that uh, that it it went beyond just household slaves. It was people in general that there are times when, as Christians, we endure, we will, and are are caused to endure unjust suffering. Uh, that was that was the final words, the final context of verse uh, of verse twenty, where he says, "For what credit is there is there if, when you sin, you are harshly treated, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure, and and you endure. This finds favor with God." And and he says, "There are those times." To that, now he breaks and interjects now the example of Jesus Christ. Uh, he says, here's where you look. Uh, here's, the, here's the place you go to to look. Uh, you go to Jesus. You see Jesus. And, and he is going to go, basically, he does kind of an exposition on parts of Isaiah 53. That's where he's going to go. And we'll, we'll touch on a number of verses in Isaiah 53 that he either alludes to and kind of paraphrases or he directly quotes. And uh, uh, that's, uh, that's how he's going to support uh, his teaching on verses 20, 21 through 25, which is where we're going to, uh, where we're going to spend our time this morning. So uh, before we get into that, uh, are there any prayer requests this morning? <coughs> Yes. Um, I got to see my uncle yesterday, but he's not doing so well, and he doesn't know Jesus. So. Oh, okay. What's his name? Greg. Greg? Anyway, you might. Uh, I, w- I would appreciate you keeping my family in prayer, especially Kathy, as she uh, she deals with. Uh, as we all deal with what's going on with her, she just uh, this morning was kind of, I think she had no energy and didn't want to go. And since Michael has had this congestion in his chest and been coughing and he's on, he's better today. He was staying home. I think she just decided she wasn't getting up. So anyway, anyway, uh, just kind of keep us in prayer as that goes on. But uh, at any rate, uh, Bob, would you open us this morning, please? Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is, Lord, for us to gather this morning to hear your word opened and pray that we would just be attentive to what uh, John had to share with us. Just pray that you would be with him as he teaches. Pray that uh, your word would be clear and, and that we would uh, have hearts that would receive. Pray that you would uh, be with these prayer requests as well, Lord. His uh, health is always an issue. And so we bring that to you, Lord, asking for your gracious hand and mercy upon those that are not feeling well today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to be uh, looking, first of all, at Jesus as our example in verses 21 through 23. And, And Peter writes there, he says, For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did not sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Who, being reviled, was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So, the first thing he points to, and the first thing he says is based upon, and this really, the first few words of 21 tie back 
to verse 20 that we just read. When you suffer unjustly, look to Jesus as the example, is what he's saying here. He's saying this is where you go. And he, and he goes on a little bit farther because he uses, he uses the phrase, for this you were called. Uh, called is a word that uh, runs through First Peter. Uh, he began. Uh, he began in the very beginning uh, by saying that we were elect, uh, which basically is the word called as well. Uh, he says. He says. He says. Uh, he's, he's speaking here of the effectual call to salvation and the things that go along with it. In in verse fifteen of chapter one, he, he says we were called by the one who is holy. It speaks of God as being the Holy One, as the one who called us. Uh, in two nine, uh, <clears throat> he says, we were in that call, the Holy One who called us, called us from darkness to light. Uh, that's, that's also a part of the call. Here, he says, we've, within that call, we may endure unjust suffering. Suffering may be a part of the Christian experience in this, in this life. And that's what he's, that's what he's, he's telling us here. And, and then in verse, uh, in chapter three, verse nine, he's going to say that call included an inherit uh, an inheritance, an inherited blessing, if you will. And in five ten, <clears throat> he says this, he says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself rest- will restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. All of these things are a part of that. In Second Peter 1.3, he says this, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And so all of this is wrapped up in the call, and a part of that call is... Christians at times will suffer, and that suffering may be unjust. That's that's what uh, that's what Peter is telling us here. Uh, the call includes un, un, uh, uh, unjust suffering uh, in this life, just as he noted in five ten. Uh, that's that's uh, that that is a mark. It's it's then how does the how does the believer respond to that? Is is the idea here? And he is saying. Jesus then is the example. That's what he's saying. He says, he's our example. This is where we go. He says, since Christ also suffered for you. That's the first thing we must remember. He's telling us, look back to Jesus. What did Jesus do on your behalf? He suffered incredibly. Is is the idea that he's that he's, he's saying here? Christ suffered for you, leading up to his death, which he's going to discuss then in chapter in verse twenty four. He says, as an example. For the believer to follow in that suffering. The word example is an interesting word. You know, I just think of an example, you think, well, it's like anything. It just stands there or something you look at and remember this. This kind of an example of that. But it's a very specific word. It's a word from education, actually. It's how children are taught to write. Is what this word means. Uh, the 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 uh, the Greek uses of this word, and and I got to thinking about it because it's. I remember sitting with my children and my grandchildren doing this, where they sent home a, a mimeograph paper and it had these dotted lines showing how the letter looked, and then the kid had to take his pencil and fill it in. That's what this word means. It also mean it also is used for when they get a little bit better and they have the letters written at the top of the page, and then they're to copy them on the lines below. That's 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 what this word that's what this word pictures. It says how a child was taught to trace and print letters either over them or as, as examples to follow. That's what he's saying. Uh, like a child is trained to write, you are to follow Jesus as an example. He sets the example. We're to trace his example. Is the, is the idea here? That's that's what he's saying to us. And then he goes on. He, he says he goes on and he says, as an example, you should follow in his steps. That's the next thing he says. Steps here. Uh, steps here is the word is uh, is a word that means to uh, that means footprints or tracks. That's the idea here. Uh, we're to we're to follow his example. We're to trace his footsteps. Is Literally what he is saying. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that we're to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Some translators take that word author and they translate it trailblazer. It can be translated that way. He's the one who set the pace. He's the one who set the, he's the one who laid out the path. He's the one who set the course that we are to follow. Uh, that, that's what P- Peter is saying here. Uh, 
And we are to see him as the one whose steps we trace along that path. That's that's the that's the picture he's painting for us. Uh, we're to we're to and, and, it, and it can mean unjust suffering. So Jesus are to trace or, or excuse me, believers are to cha- trace Jesus footprints in how he suffered is 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 what Paul uh, Peter is saying in this in this context. He says he says, for you have been called as part of the effectual call. That since Christ suffered for you, he left you an example of the path you're to follow. That's what he's done. He's left for you the path to follow. That, that's verse 21. And then he goes on to verse 22. And in verse 22, he's going to, he's going to go to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 53, and, and to, illustrate, to illustrate what he's talking about. And he, here he's going to use verse 9 in this particular case from Isaiah 53. He says, so he gave us, so his grave has assigned uh, uh, was a sign with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And it's the latter part of the verse that, that Peter is going to use here in verse, 20, in verse 22. Who did not sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Now Peter changes a word here. In the uh, Hebrew text, the word that was used is, is violence. In the LXX, the word that is used is lawlessness. Uh, both of these are references to sin. And, and that's basically the idea. Peter, as an inspired writer, is, is making a comment on, on the text of Isaiah 53, verse 9. And he is basically saying he did, he did nothing that would be equated to sin. Uh, whether it was violence or whether it is lawlessness, uh, whichever translation you want to take, uh, the fact of the matter is his actions committed no sin. That's the, that's the point he's wanting to make. First John 3, 5, and you know that he was manifest in order to take away sin, and in him there was no sin. It's, it's pointing to the, this, to the sinlessness of Jesus. Uh, he was the perfect sacrifice. He did nothing for which he should have suffered. Is li- really what this is. What this is telling us, in, in effect, he's saying he did no sin. That's that's the first thing. There was no sin found in him. Otherwise, salvation is worthless. If there's any any crimp in his armor, then salvation is worthless. He had to be the sinless sacrifice, the spotless Lamb of God, which he has declared in heaven in, in, the, in the Revelation. He, he is the sinless, he is, it points to his sinlessness. And then it goes on to say that that sinlessness went all the way to the fact that there was no deceit found in his mouth. James chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 6, speaks about the mouth. And he says, it says this, And the tongue is a fire, and a very word of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on, uh, uh, and sets on fire the course of our existence and is set on fire by hell. You know, I don't know about you, but I seem to constantly get in trouble for something I say. <laughs> Uh, especially with Kathy, but nevertheless, uh, um, you know it's it gets taken the wrong way. You say something you don't, you know, or or uh, something irritates you, and you just blast out. You know, you kind of unload. You know, You've, I, I suspect I'm not the only one that's ever done that. Uh, but at any rate, that's that's what it's saying here. Uh, you know, when when you're when somebody is doing something to you that is unjust, what is your first impulse? It's to speak out against it. That's your first impulse. That's that's how people react. Read the newspaper sometime. You know, that's that's. Uh, do any of you still get newspapers? We do, but anyway. Uh, but uh, but at any rate, uh, read the newspaper in the computer, if you will, or whatever. But, but at any rate, you know, you you see this all the time. It's somebody blasting somebody for something. 
You know, I was, I was looking, you see these headlines, so-and-so speaks out about such-and-such, you know. Well, who cares? But anyway, at any rate, at any rate, what it's saying here is that's what happens. That's what people do. But in Jesus, that did not happen. That's what he's telling us. It says Jesus did not speak out. He did not blast back at his accusers. He didn't make any, he didn't make any, any comment uh, about them. There was no deceit found in his mouth. And if you remember in Isaiah, in, in Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah, in the face of holy God, uh, his response is, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips. He thought he was going to die because he knew, he recognized his sin. Uh, but, here, but here it says that Jesus was sinless in his expression. He neither spoke in sin or confessed any sin. Uh, deceit is the same word that is used back in two one that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's that word that means to bait or to a fish hook. It's the idea of, of, of tricking, of how you trick a fish, to bite the hook is, is the idea here. It's, uh, it's, it, it, it translates into to terms here, uh, uh, meaning there was no guile, there was no dishonesty, there was no falsehood, uh, there was no treachery involved in his, in his, uh, in his, uh, in his, sacri- in his uh, as he faced the, the unjust persecution that he faced. He said he didn't speak out and lash out at them. Note 310. For the one for the one who desires life to to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And Jesus did that. That's what this is saying. Is as he faced all of that all of that that went on around him as those uh, those who would try him, who would mock him, who would spit on him, who would beat him, he didn't lash out. He didn't lash out. Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, That just brings to my mind when he called Pharisees a brood of vipers or whatever, or Herod that fox. Yeah. Is that... How, how does that fit in there? I mean, they were well, really vipers. Well, this is this is specifically directed at the time of uh, when we're leading up to the crucifixion, and it's it's from the time they it's basically from the time they arrest him till they crucify him. That's the time frame here. In the other teaching, that's a little bit different. You know, he, he it's it's a little bit different. He is he is pointing out their sin. He is he is trying to correct them. He's trying to bring them back to where they need to be by hitting them in the face with it. But there's no deceit in that because what he said is true. Yeah. It's absolute truth. And it wasn't a lashing out so much against them in in um, uh, anger because of something, a retaliation, that's what I was looking for. It wasn't a retaliatory event. What this is saying here, there's no retaliation going on, would, would be probably the best way to put this. He's not retaliating against these people with his mouth. He's not, he's not cursing them or calling them names or, or calling, calling any kind of fire. Yeah, keep in mind, here, here's the, here's the I, I always think the interesting thing to all this, he could have spoke one word and all this would have stopped. I mean, he could have spoke one word, and the world would have stopped. And he didn't. You know, that wasn't the plan. He, he was submitted to the plan, uh, to the holy plan, uh, to the plan to, to save mankind. That's, that's ultimately what, what, is, what, is, uh, what is seen here. Anyway, at any rate, there was no there was no guile, no dishonesty, no falsehood, no treachery in his speech. And then in verse in verse twenty three, he says, "Who being reviled, was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept himself uh, but kept himself to him who judges rightly." So here here we we go on even farther in this. Now he's now he's referring to Isaiah. Chapter uh, Isaiah fifty three verse seven in this particular instance, where it says he was uh, he was opposed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, 
And like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. And of course, this is all all at that particular point. This is the point where they're 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 we're, we're from his arrest in Gethsemane up to the crucifixion. This is the the, the time frame that that we're looking at here. He says he was not reviled. And he didn't uh, being reviled. He did not revile in return. Revile is a present tense participle, meaning that this was intense. Phys, uh, uh, intense verbal abuse. That's the idea here. It's it's uh, it's abusive, vile language that was repeated over and over again as an assault on him. Uh, one commentator said it's the idea of piling it on. Uh, that that's the picture here. It wasn't just a, a a short event. It it went on and on and on as the idea. Matthew chapter twenty six, Luke chapter twenty three, Matthew chapter twenty seven. In all of those texts, there is uh, the idea of the mocking that they did of Jesus during this time. Yes. Even at his trial, he didn't defend himself. Right. Exactly. It's that whole the whole time. It's from the from Gethsemane through the the various trials, the trial before Pilate, the trial before um, uh, the Sanhedrin. Uh, he didn't he didn't defend himself. That he spoke. He did not. He didn't. He didn't utter anything back. Is the idea? Uh, it's it's aggravated verbal abuse. Is the idea here? And, it, and, it, and as I said, it goes from his arrest through the trials to the cross. And even while he was on the cross, they were still mocking him. They were still mocking him. <clears throat> and he didn't, he didn't return. It's the idea. Is while they were reviling him, he didn't. Uh, J- Jesus did not return the abuse. He did not revile in return. And you know, for us human beings that's just kind of maybe a little bit beyond our ability sometimes you know we we look at that and go how did he take it well he was jesus anyway but here we have the creator of the universe who the world uh who who could have sent with a word could have sent this entire uh, crowd uh, not to mention all of mankind straight into eternal hell and yet he did he did nothing because your and my salvation was on his mind. That's what he was about. And that's why. To me, I would have wanted to retaliate in some way, even if it was just an idle threat. I mean, what could you really do when you're nailed to a cross? But nevertheless, even if it was just an idle threat, you would have done that. I was I was thinking about this, you know, I I kind of I I'll have to admit to this, I kinda like action movies, you know. And, and I got to thinking about it, and you realize the theme of every action movie is one thing, revenge. There was no revenge in Jesus. There was, no, there was none of that going on here. He didn't get mad at all. While suffering, he, uh, he, uh, he uttered no threats. And it says that he kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Uh, entrust is a word that means to commit or to hand over. And it's in a it's in a Greek tense. It's called the perfect tense. It means it's a repeated past action. And what it what it literally means is, as the abuse kept coming, he kept handing himself over. That's that's what it means. It was a continual action. He kept handing himself over every time it happened. He handed himself over to God, understanding that in the hands of holy God, judgment will come. That's where we that's where we need to understand is no matter what goes on in this world, there is a day they will face the judge, the righteous judge. And so will we. Not for the same reason, though. Uh, He always handed himself over to the father. And that includes up to the very moment that he, he gave up his spirit, Luke 23, six, uh, 64. Father, under your hand, uh, unto your hands I commit my spirit. Having, having said this, he breathed his last. Uh, that's the picture that he wants us to understand. This is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus could accept the suffering because... <clears throat> 
because because he trusted fully in the divine plan of God. That's the idea here. Him who judges righteously, John seventeen twenty five. Jesus Jesus in in his in his in his prayer says this. Oh righteous Father, although the world has not known you yet, I have known you, and these have uh, and these have known that you sent me. That's that's the prayer that he made. We can know this too, because we know Jesus. And we know Jesus came from the Father. And we know that, that we can entrust ourselves to him. That's the, that's the idea. Jesus knows God would, that God would vindicate him. And this is, uh, this is to be an example to believers or to look to, to follow when, when, they, uh, when they are facing suffering. Incidentally, I was just kind of thinking about this. You know, I've been around church a while and uh, uh, I've heard a lot of evangelistic messages and I've seen a lot of evangelistic plans that have come down from time to time. You know, here's this little booklet. You use this to lead people to the Lord. And, and a lot of them are very good. You know, they're very handy tools and they're very, very good. But one of the things that was interesting, when I, when I was in seminary, uh, Grace Church was working on their, uh, their evangelism plan. And they had gone to, to uh, back... Or is it Florida, where the evangelism explosion started? And they had gone through their deal, and they liked their material, except for one thing. Evangelism explosion asks you to ask for a commitment. And then after asking for the commitment, they tell you what the commitment means. And so Grace Church said, no, we're going to tell them what the commitment means, then ask for the commitment. And the response was, you'll get fewer fewer converts and they said no we'll get real converts you know and that's the point Uh, be careful in evangelism don't try to uh, picture Christianity is a panacea you know that I've heard people say come to Christ and saves all your problems no I've had more problems since coming to Christ than I ever had that I don't that I remember before only because I didn't recognize what the problems were, but nevertheless, nevertheless, don't paint it that way. Uh, don't paint it that way. There's a lot of people who, who make a commitment and then realize, well, I didn't buy into this. This isn't what I wanted, you know. So, you know, you just kind of be careful. You've got to understand this, that coming along with being saved, part of that call is you might be called to suffer. And all of us will face some of it somewhere, sometime. My daughter, uh, when she was in high school, in uh, one of her, I don't remember what class it was in. It was probably an English class. Somehow English classes do this kind of stuff. But anyway, she had to write a paper, and it was about abortion. And she wrote a very anti-abortion paper. And And the teacher gave her a very, very low grade on it. Because the teacher didn't agree, she took took the paper to the head of the to the English department. And the head of the English department said, "This is a solid B paper. I don't know why you got a D on it." She knew it didn't agree. You know, well, very often that's what happens. Uh, we will suffer in various ways. Uh, there's a report in the paper where a Christian group went into a restaurant. Uh, they made reserva- I don't know if you saw this. They, they made reservations in this restaurant. Uh, and uh, uh, an hour before they were due to show up, the, rest, the restaurant canceled their, their, their reservations because they felt that it was a safety issue having Christians come into the restaurant because of their stand against LBG, the alphabet people. <laughs> I can't get them all right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, because and, and they had some people who worked in their restaurant who were in that group. See that's that. Their employees wouldn't attack their customers. <laughs> uh, uh, I, <laughs> they didn't say that, but I think they were trying to imply it would be the other way. Yeah. Virginia. Virginia? Yeah. I, you ask, and I forgot. I read it. I just I just read the follow up thing on it, and I forgot where it was. But yeah, it was in Virginia. Virginia has lots of problems. You see that? Uh, what's his name? Cameron? Kirk Cameron? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tried to read that book in the library. And yeah, the library, but the library is full of alphabet people books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can have you can have that. Wayne Gundrum in his commentary says this: It is important to note that Peter here commends neither 
the supposed therapeutic value of expressing one's anger when wrong or merely holding the anger in trying to suppress it. Both are self-dependent solutions, but rather repeatedly and continually committing the situation into God's hands. That's, that's, that's the idea here. That's, that's the example Jesus set. We are to commit whatever we are facing to God. That's where we're to go. And we're to do it continually. Uh, because it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. You know, whatever, whatever you're facing in life, and it, it, it may not be overt persecution. It may, just may be uh, trouble within your own life. It, it may be like, for us, it's a health issue that's going on. Uh, it's, it's a daily commitment. It's a daily commitment of that to God to get, us, to get you through. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, I knew it was in here somewhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, he, he said this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now all these things are from God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the important thing here is, is to understand who we are. To understand who we are. And, and, and uh, uh, actually, I read the wrong passage. I think I read the wrong passage. The passage, I, I think it's 1 Corinthians. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians. It's always good when you mark everything wrong. Although that was a, a good passage. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't know what I... I've, I've stumped myself now. But at any, at any rate, uh, he's, he's saying here, entrusted himself, that he entrusted himself to God. And, and, and the passage I was looking to used a word where it said the, uh, the, uh, uh, the eternal weight. And it basically what it was talking about there is uh, the word weight there means heavy mass. <laughs> That's what it means. Uh, and the idea, the idea that, that, that we are to... We are to we are to take the full, the full weight of the sin is to be entrusted to God. The full weight of, of not sin, but here, the full weight of the persecution is to be entrusted to God. That's what we need to do. That's where we need to go. That's where we need to be, is, is entrusting everything to him. Uh, he, he, he says here, Jesus is the example. This is the point here in these first three verses. Jesus is the example. He's the example that was set for us, that when he faced totally unjust persecution when he faced total unjust suffering and and it was immense suffering that he did not respond in a in a way that was sinful he kept his mouth shut he took it and he entrusted himself to god all the way through he because he understood that God is the one who vindicates all things. That's 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 the bottom line here. Uh, there's there is eternal weight that, that comes with that is the idea. Uh, and then in verse 24, Jesus is our substitute. This is an important doctrine. This is the heart of the gospel. It says this: Who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sin, he might live to right. We might live to righteousness. By his wounds you are you were healed. And once again, he is he is going to he is going to uh, he is going to go to Isaiah fifty three. We'll pick that up in just a minute. Uh, here he says he says he says this: Who bore our sins in his body on the tree? Leon Morris in his commentary. He, he had a lengthy, a lengthy, a lengthy, uh, a lengthy uh, um, statement on it. And I just picked out a couple of phrases that he that he had. He says, "If Christ is not my substitute, I still occupy the place of a condemned sinner." That's where I stand. Without Jesus Christ, I'm still a condemned sinner. If my penalty was not bore by Him, it still hangs over me. That that's what he's saying here, uh, because. Here we have come to the situation that, that, that Christ's suffering was as a substitute for what I was due. 
His death was a substitute for me. He stood in my place, is the idea here. Uh, And this is the heart of the gospel. Uh, This is the very heart of the gospel. Without him, I'm still guilty. Without him, I face the penalty. That's that's the idea. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as is written, everyone who hangs, uh, accursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Which is incidentally why very often the New Testament writers use, uh, use the phrase tree rather than, rather, than, uh, rather than cross. There are those who have written volumes of ink on trying to say, well, really the crucifixion was this way. It was on a single pole and it didn't have a crossbar on it. We know from Roman history how they did it. But understand, what is a cross made out of? A tree. You know, so, you know, I mean, you just don't, you know, you don't need to get carried away with that. And basically, Peter used the word tree because it coincides with the curse of Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. What we just what we just read, uh, quoted by Paul in Galatians. Uh, and now he's going to allude to Isaiah 53 once again. Here he alludes. He doesn't directly quote. And he's going to and he's going to take verses four through five and then eleven. In verses uh, four and five, it says this: Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves deceived him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgression; he was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening of our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. And verse eleven says, "As a result of the anguish of his soul." He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquity. This is all references to the substitutionary act that Christ did on my behalf, in your behalf, and all believers' behalf. Uh, that's, that's what he's saying here. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 made him sin who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what his substitutionary death did. He carried the burden of my sin. He paid the penalty for my sin. He stood in my place. Uh, there was a, an old story that uh, I was taught years ago that, that uh, uh, was supposed to be, uh, was one of these stories you could kind of use to illustrate the sacrifice of Jesus in an evangelistic mood. And, it, and it, I, you may have heard it if you have, forgive me. If you haven't, it's pretty good. Uh, but at any rate, uh, basically, it, it's, it speaks of a time when the, of a Viking village in which they were uh, very depressed and running out of food, and, and the king had rationed all the food in the, uh, in the village, and he had put, placed a guard over the food, and uh, the guard came to him and said, told the king, he says, we have somebody pilfering food. And the king says, well, who was it? And the guard very timidly says, your mother. And the king says, and the king had authorized flogging as the punishment for, for stealing food. And so he basically had his mother brought and tied to the post. And when the flog was lifted back and ready to strike her, he laid his own body over her. That's what Christ did. You were supposed to be tied to the pole. You were supposed to be nailed to the tree. But he went there instead. That, that's the picture here. That's the picture he wants us to see. That's the idea. He, he became sin on my behalf that I can become the righteousness of God. That's what his, that's what his substitute did. And it says, he, he says, who himself, which is, which is a word that stresses the fact that it was voluntary. There was no coercion involved in his sacrifice. He did it because out of, out of love, John 3.16. Uh, he did it to show mercy, and he provided grace through that. Uh, that, that. That was the idea of it. This was the nature of his sacrifice, voluntary. And, 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 he, and he says he bore it. He carried the massive weight of sin. And incidentally, 
That sin didn't just go to you and me. It went to the whole of creation. Romans chapter 8, 22, where it tells us that the whole creation groans and suffers as a result of sin. That's the idea here. He bore it all. It's a redemption of the creation, in effect. Well, in reality. And he says, but also, he says, of our sin, all of it, past, present, future, for those who, place, for those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, uh, that is, who have come to faith in Him, who put their faith in that sacrifice that He made, that they understand that substitutionary death, that He took my place, and then we become, First Peter 1.1, 1, 1, the elect to which Peter is writing to. Those are the ones whom he saved. And he says, he goes on and he says, having died to sin, which is an interesting word. It means uh, to be away from. It isn't the normal word for die, the cessation of life. It it has a little different different ring to it. Uh, This word means to to be away from, uh, to to depart, uh, be missing. Or cease existing. Uh, basically, what he is saying here is Christ bore our sins in our body so, so that having died to sin, we might live to, the right, uh, live to righteousness. When he says died to sin, he's basically saying that sin departed because of his sacrifice. <laughs> that sin ceased to exist in not as far as we're concerned before God, cease, sin ceased to exist. Uh, it's 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 now missing. It's it's gone. It's departed. It's no longer a part of those things in our lives anymore. Uh, Christ's sacrifice separated believers from sin's penalty, and we will never be condemned because of that sacrifice. That that's what this is saying here. That's the way this word would phrase this. It was as Colossians two twelve through fourteen tells us. It was nailed to the cross. That's the idea here. It was nailed to the cross. Romans six three through eleven. It tells us that we died to sin, and then in 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 uh, sixteen through twenty two he says, and we were made alive to righteousness. As you read through those texts, and I encourage you to do so. That's the idea here. We now live to righteousness, and no longer to sin. Isaiah, you know, then then we have this text that has been greatly abused in modern Christianity. Uh, Isaiah 53, 5 says, By our wounds we were healed. Now, I just want you, you, I think most of you have been around this church any while, any amount of time. I, I know in the time I've been here, I don't know how many times I've heard Pastor Steve say something to the effect of, what is the context? You know, stay in the context. Uh, here in the context, what is the context? Is the context talking about having the flu and God heals it or being crippled and God heals it or being blind and God heals it no that's not what it's talking about what does it say what is it saying are are those stripes that he took healed it's it's it, it's it's all it's all the sin issue it's a spiritual issue it's not a physical one uh, incidentally the physical one will be done that will be completed uh, but it doesn't happen until Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. It doesn't. It doesn't happen until then. Uh, that's all a falsehood. Don't, healing is not part of the atonement in this life. It's in the life to come. So you have to be careful there. It's not the. Fl- it's not. It's not physical deliverance from sickness. That's reserved for eternity. Here we're delivered. Here we're delivered from the pressures of sin, and and we're delivered from the from the from the penalty of sin. In eternity, we're delivered from the presence of sin. It will be gone completely. That's what that's what his sacrifice brought to us. And then he goes on and he he talks about Jesus as being our shepherd. In verse 25, he says, 
For you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 6, this time he goes to, which says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity iniquity of us all to fall on him. Uh, here is here is the picture that he's painting for us. Here he's he's drawing from this. He says, "We're continually we're conti- we were we were before we came to salvation continually straying. We were like a herd of sheep that Jesus said in Matthew uh, nine thirty six were sheep without a shepherd uh, that would just wander aimlessly. Uh, that's where the world that's where the world is." I mean, it doesn't take much to see that. You know, we've just got people wandering aimlessly. Uh, they look for something to tie, tie onto, uh, but they're just wandering. They're like they're like a herd. Of, uh, they're like a bunch of sheep that have just wandered off. Uh, sheep uh, are um, an interesting group of animals because uh, they don't uh, they don't function very well. Uh, they uh, they will go eat the wrong stuff. Uh, they will wander off in the places they shouldn't be. They will do dumb things, just like a lot of people. <laughs> and that's what he's saying here. He's saying they're just they're just wandering about. Uh, but at salvation, we returned. Uh, we came to to we came to. Uh, 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 the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Uh, but now that we have returned to him, that's the idea here. Uh, he says, you return, it's the idea, and this word returned, actually, I don't know if it's a really good English translation. Uh, it's probably the best they could do, but it, but it's a word that really pictures repentance. It's a word that means to turn. That's what it means. It means, it means that we turn. We turn from our wandering is the idea here. That's that's what he's saying. We turn from that. We turn from the aimless wandering. Uh, we return from the aimless wandering to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. That's the idea. We repented and came to Christ. Literally, is I mean, that's not literally how he worded it, but that's how it could be could be translated. He's saying he's saying it's it's a turning. We are no longer wandering. We've turned from wandering sin to Christ's faith. That, that's what he's picturing here. He says, we're no longer a bunch of lost sheep. We're now a herd that's put together, that's protected, that's looked after, that's fed, that's watered, that's in the right pasture, and has the boundaries that it needs around it. Let, we, we left our former sinful lives and we have now uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, and we have now got new life in Christ. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's 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 what he's saying here. This is this is the sheep we are now. Uh, sheep need a shepherd to oversee, to protect them and to care for them. For the believer, Pete, Peter reminds them that Jesus is our shepherd and overseer. These are two very important biblical words. It is poimen, uh, which is the word we get uh, shepherd from. And in, in, in Greek it meant shepherd. It got over the years it uh, and it was taken from the from into the Latin word from which we got the word pastor. That's where that word came from. Uh, the the Greek word is shepherd, poimen. Uh, the other word is episkopos, the one who looks over, uh, one who supervises, who oversees, who, who watches over things. And he does more than just watches over. He kind of runs things is the idea. Uh, uh, he's, he, that's that's the, the picture here. They are the same titles that are assigned to the church leadership as under shepherds, under the great, under the, under the, under the chief shepherd, Jesus. Uh, 
And here he says, that's who we've come to. Uh, our chief shepherd is Jesus. Our, chi- our chief poimen, shepherd, is Jesus. Our chi- chief episcopos, overseer, is Jesus. Under him he has appointed elders, presbyteros, who are to shepherd, poimen, and oversee, episcopos, all of us. First Timothy three uh, three one through seven and Titus uh, one uh, uh, one five through nine and it's interesting because Peter will take all three of those words and apply them uh, to those who, who who do under Christ oversee the oversee the church and in First Peter five one through two where he'll say therefore exhort the elders among you who are uh, as your fellow elder and witnesses of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the shock, uh, the flock of God among you overseeing not under compulsion but willingly according to God and not for dishonest gain but with eagerness and in the various forms there are those three words presbyteros poimen and episcopos and what it's saying here is Jesus is the one who does all of that for us he is the one who oversees the flock he is the one who shepherds it who leads it who feeds it who guides it who directs it he is the one who oversees it who protects it puts his fences around it is the idea here, and he is the one who will eventually lead us home. That, that's that's the idea. As we come to this, as we come to this text that that Peter interjected into this this text on submission, and remembering that submission could have a price in this life, that it it could come with it uh, some unjust suffering, some things that are not so pleasant. He, he reminds us that. Jesus suffered those things on our behalf, and he has set the example for us. And he says, Jesus is the example we are to follow when we face suffering. We're to remember the sacrifices that he made as our substitute, taking the full wrath of God for me. That's what he did. And then, not only that, he is now acting as the good shepherd who oversees the flock, who feeds, directs, guides, and protects. That's what Peter wants to remind us. Remember, God has called you to submit, to submit to government, to submit within your workplace, and and we will look next week at submitting in the home. He says there is this lining up that God has set order over all of these things. And with that, if there are difficulties that arise, you're to take them to Jesus. You're to look to him as your example. And you're to act the way he would have acted, or he did act, if you would. Are there any comments or questions this morning? I still can't remember what text I wrote down wrong. Is it? Okay, okay. Okay. Maybe it was the right one. Just didn't sound right when I read it. Anyway, okay, let's uh, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning as we look at this, and we just ask, Lord, that uh, we, as uh, as your people, as those who uh, you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light, that you've called to to receive a great inheritance and a great blessing. Uh, that with that call in this life, sometimes there are times of trouble and suffering. And that we would look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who is the one who blazed the trail, who is the one who set the path, and who is our example that we are to trace his footsteps. And in so honor you and give glory and praise to your name. We would ask that we would do this, and we would ask that you would be with this company and keep us as we go into our worship service this morning, that it would all be a glory to your everlasting name, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.